broadcasting direct from somewhere in the core of cyberspace. You are listening to the J2 Podcast. Technical difficulties, guys? Nah, we're just uh, working some of the bugs out of the system. With your host, Justin Wilson, covering topics such as networking, internet provider news, welcome people. Every 12-year-old kid in Miami has one. And everything in between. All systems ready. With Cameron Kelton, um, I'll let him introduce himself and kind of tell him uh, about his uh, 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 history in the the WISP and the the LTE world. Thanks, Justin. Um, yeah, th- uh, I'm with uh, Alpha Wireless now, director of uh, fixed wireless sales for the United States. Uh, kind of come from the operator background, as many know. I spent a couple years over at Buy Cells working with uh, LTE manufacturing and the hardware there. Uh, but really kind of still have that operator running through my veins and I really still try to think like an operator. So it gives me, I'd say a little bit more of a unique perspective than what you find across most of uh, the market today. And so we, we want to kind of uh, talk today about, uh, you know, some of the things that you see with operators, like when they're deploying LTE, what are some of the things they do right and do wrong? A, lo- a lot of it comes down f- uh, from what I've seen is just the education. Like a lot of people see everybody posting, whether it be on the you know Wisp Talk forums or other Facebook groups, and, and they see kind of all the magic and they go out and try it, then they usually run into some frustrations. And a lot of that comes down to just not knowing exactly how LTE works or what it can do. Um, but it really is a great tool to put in the toolbox once you once you figure out kind of the nuances in and around it. Yeah, one of the things I see, like what you say on the, the forums, I see people who say, oh man, this is magic. You know, it's I'm, I'm putting on customers I never would have been able to, to put on. Then I see people who say, hey, I can't even install a customer where I can put on put them on 2.4 yeah for sure i've seen that a lot too i mean i've deployed various types of equipment in in my time whether it be old trango cambium gear or motorola back in the day uh, obviously ubiquity microtik i mean all the stuff that everybody's played with and an lte to a point has got some magic to it it's got some better receiver sensitivity you know seven to eight db receiver receiver sensitivity so it allows you to kind of hold that modulation at a much weaker signal but you still have to deal with some physics to a point so you know a lot of the, the situations i run into that i tell operators just because you can doesn't mean you necessarily should install that customer and, and what do you see as some of the big differences from, hey, I'm an operator and I'm used to deploying, you know, the Wi-Fi style chipsets, even the, the 450s that aren't really Wi-Fi. But what do, you, what do you see the major differences that that operators need to know between those two camps? Absolutely. So the, the biggest complaint I see is people expecting it to operate like Wi-Fi, like layer two. They're expecting the IP yeah. to pass through the radio. It just doesn't do that. It's very much a layer three technology. And when a lot of operators ask me, it's like, I, I need a, I need layer two. I'm like, do you actually need layer two or do you just need IP to be on the customer router? Because there's really two different conversations. And, and that's usually considered IP pass-through, which can be achieved pretty easily in LTE with the right hardware. And, and, you know, being in now with an antenna vendor, how, how important are the antennas? I mean, there's, there's a definite, um, you know, we, you can explain the, you know, the 45 and the 30 degree sectors, maybe, maybe talk about that a little. Absolutely. And this came a lot from first world experience. So when I was up in Maine, I was working for a very good sized uh, wireless internet service provider there that had all the band 41 spectrum. So for those not familiar, that's, you know, the 2.5 gigahertz spectrum, very similar to that of sprint um 
one thing I learned very quickly is the antenna patterns don't, they're not like pie slices. 65, you know, putting up six of those is not going to give you a clean 360. It's really going to give you a lot more than that, a lot of overlaps. And what I tell people now is 90 degrees is a lot more than just 360. So think of uh, think of 90s kind of covering as 120 from a panel panel perspective 65s acting like 90s 45s acting like 65s 33s acting like 45s and so on and you get once you start to understand that antennas are not these perfect lines as much as we'd like them to be mm-hmm. uh, unless you're working with a horn which is you know superior in their marketplace and in, in the 5 gigahertz space they're, they're just not going to behave that way so we have to be sensitive to the fact that there is going to be bleed over on the edges and that takes to a lot of account with the limited spectrum that most people are operating in LTE particularly in you know the NN license the 3650 to 3700 band there's only so much spectrum to play with obviously as CBRS opens up it's going to allow for a little bit more flexibility but an antenna selection uh, is very important it's kind of a natural fit for me when I joined over to Alpha because I had an independent review of several brands of antennas Mm -hmm. and Alpha um, won out the testing Uh, we had a couple close finishers but uh, Alpha having that carrier presence having um being not just a carrier presence, but actually sold to carriers and being operated by carriers uh, was you know, a heavy deter- uh, deciding factor in us moving forward with that uh, back in that deployment. So it was a really natural fit when they asked me to come over here and uh, help get this into the fixed wireless marketplace because and, and, I already understood the product. So, so what makes a good LTE antenna? Absolutely. So it's you got to pay attention to the front to back ratios, and not just that front to back ratio to one eighty. And when I say the one eighty, that basically means directly behind the antenna. Uh-huh. You know, standards based testing for front to back ratios at the plus minus thirty of the antenna. So you actually have to take the average of what your front to back ratio is at at thirty degrees off axis on both the plus and the minus behind the antenna to make sure you're actually having good. Uh, isolation between your frequency reuse channels if that's what you're trying to accomplish which in most cases based on the limited spectrum that's available today is required so and and you're talking a little bit about the bleed over earlier um operators can take advantage of that too can't they the 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 bleed over that comes on the edges of the yeah absolutely so you know you put up a 65 degree antenna it's really probably going to cover you know 90 degrees out a couple miles maybe as many as four or five miles without uh, significant impact you start pushing the envelope beyond that you're going to start see a little bit you're not going to see full gain of the sector essentially it's going to start dropping off usually 3 db to 6 db at the edge uh, otherwise known as the null okay and and what what do you see um, you know kind of coming down the line for for LTE in the next next stage for the Wisps? Um, I would like to see more LTE vendors start to engage in in what other companies have already done is starting to reduce that license model. Okay. There's so many license fees out there, and yes. I think the industry is being very honest and transparent that they're tired of it. There's already so much money on an OPEX perspective where it's you know, you're losing a little bit on the billing system, you're losing a little bit on the management system, you're losing a little bit on your um, QoS systems or, or QoI and all that other fun stuff. So we're losing a lot of our monthly revenue on various services. Now you get to add in with CBRS, you're talking about SaaS fees at you know Google's published 225 a month per user. Can you increase some of your rates to collect that? Sure. But we have to be sensitive to all those other fees that keep getting added on. I think we're starting to see a trend with some manufacturers where they're just baking in the cost. 
this product can do X, Y, and Z. Here's the price. Go after it. Then you have some other vendors that are still kind of in the legacy phase of how things are being done where it can do all the things you want it to do. The base price is going to be $500, but if you want all these other bells and whistles, it's another $1,500. And I think vendors, are just, I think operators rather, are just tired of that. Because LTE for the WISP has kind of been, they've, they've picked and choose various parts they're not they're not really using a lot of the LTE are they it's just they've, they've taken what they needed to make it work for the WISP yeah I mean absolutely I mean you look at you know buy cells you know, a lot of people used to call them kind of the ubiquity of LTE which is not necessarily a bad yeah. thing but they also change the marketplace they set the tone or where things need to go was the product perfect of course it wasn't anything new that's cutting edge or bleeding edge is not perfect but it changed the marketplace it put other people on notice now you have other companies like blink networks coming to the table with a similar approach you know they're uh, ridding themselves of these license fees and just baking everything in you know telrad's making some changes airspan's coming back into the marketplace all these vendors see the potential particularly with cbrs and what rural operations has to offer for them as a company and what operators can do to leverage those particular types of hardware vendors yeah, and I'm seeing like Cambium is trying to reduce everything to the box at the tower. Yes, Cambium is going to a split architecture. They're doing a baseband unit, otherwise known as a BBU, kind of a you know, split architecture, radio heads up top. Um, I think they still got a little bit of work to do. I'm still hoping to get some chance to uh, test that gear firsthand. Uh, it does look promising, and I think they're on the, the right track. Yeah, I think that's, from what I've seen, that's going to be what some of these vendors are going to have to go to to make it simple for the operator. Because that's that's one of the things I see in, when I go in and do consulting for these folks is they're, they're trying to put all these pieces together and they're not fitting very well. Absolutely. LTE is a lot. I mean, a lot of people say it, it's... it's Know, imita- uh, intimidating mm-hmm. which it is yeah you know buy cells kind of coin lte easy as wi-fi it it is and it isn't it can be if you take the time to kind of learn about it ahead of time and once you gather enough information it's rather quick to deploy it's, it's replicatable you can move things quickly and you can get it out there and getting customers served one of the the biggest things when i even was with buy cells is you know, we looked at kind of a customer account on CloudCore. This is a couple years ago now. There was 14,000 people connected Yeah, online. which is pretty pretty impressive, really. Well, it's 14,000 people that probably never had yeah. internet before. And that's one of the things when I was teaching LTE classes that I wanted the class to acknowledge and applaud themselves because that's a lot of revenue, one, for your company, but two, that's that broadband is a very sensitive spot to me because I've been doing broadband and rural broadband my entire life that... 14,000 people that can finally get online and and maybe get schoolwork done, take college courses. I mean, I still remember that time I went to find a new repeater site and a lady's HughesNet died that day and I needed her roof for a repeater. And I said, hey, how would you like some free internet? I got sent home with a hug and two dozen (laughs) chicken eggs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm from a rural area, and I I owned a Wisp, you know, several years ago. So, you know, I was pre Netflix days, and I've been an operator in in right at the Netflix, uh, you know, boom. And people have realized that hey, this is a, a tool. It's no longer just entertainment. This is something I need. So yeah, having fourteen thousand people that they could hook up is, like you say, that's that's probably fourteen thousand people who wouldn't have it otherwise. Exactly, and it, and it makes a difference. I mean, there's a lot of people that have wrote really good success stories, and it's like, you know, there's fourteen thousand people that are online that previous equipment couldn't, couldn't accomplish. Get. 
And that's just with buy sells. You got the Telrads of the world. You got now the Blinks coming into the marketplace. So all these hardware vendors, yes, it's at a little bit more premium and expense, but it's also going to be generating you revenue. So you have to look at it as a whole. Is it is it going to be perfect? No. But is it going to be a tool for the toolbox? Absolutely. What do, what do you think um, LTE and small cells for the WISP is? Is it, is it going to be something that they should pay attention to? or Absolutely. I mean, you look at kind of what the big carriers are doing. It's exactly what we've been doing for the last decade is Micropops. Yes. Micropops is the fancy word for small cell. Yep, the small cell sizes cell. are shrinking because they need more bandwidth exactly. to the client. You look at every major marketing campaign from the carriers, it's no, it's no longer about we cover so much percentage of the population, which is what the big four were doing three, four years ago. We covered 97%. We covered 99% of the population. Now it's like we have LTE or we have LTE advanced at 123 markets. And that's based on small cell architecture going out there, neutral host providers, companies like Crown Castle, mm-hmm. Extinet, uh, even American Towers getting into the neutral host game and, and you know, in, ver- in large venues. So there's so much out there that is driving small cell architecture. And that's really what we've been doing as operators. It's like, let's put up a micropop. We need to hit these 10 homes. We need yep. to offload off the tower a little bit. Let's do it. Yeah. And I, you know, as I look at my, wherever my phone is, we're in Indianapolis and I have an AT, AT&T phone and it says it's 5G, whatever the E means, enhanced or something. It's not 5G. It's a marketing thing because my iPhone doesn't have a 5G chip in it, but they're, they're pushing that pretty hard here in Indianapolis. And you, you drive up and down and you see small cells up and down the streets. And I, I think there's a huge op. Uh, opportunity for the operators to quote do small cells absolutely i'm working with some actual wisp operators even in just the next state over in illinois and we're doing some small cell micro you know slash micro pop development and we're utilizing some lt infrastructure some cambium epmp 3k design and developing a custom uh, small cell enclosed antenna that fits inside the otard regulation so there's so much that can be done if you think outside the box yeah i'm working with a, a company out of uh they're out of texas and they have a basically i would call it a sector that has a cbrs radio it's got a 2.4 radio it's got a 5 gig radio um and then they can add in something licensed if they wanted to and it just goes on a pole and i think um there's there's nothing like that yet in the wisp space it's all kind of roll your own but i think it's it's going to go that way definitely i mean we're i'm seeing a lot more split architecture and like i say cambium kind of is starting this in the lt space for wisp is that split radio architecture now they have a baseband unit there's nothing saying they couldn't create you know they have the cbrs one that's going to be coming out they have the 2.5 mm-hmm. c and ranger coming out there's nothing saying they couldn't do something similar with their five gigahertz or any other frequency band that all talks to the same bbu which allows you to do multiple band carrier aggregation and uh, and really leverage to that whole gigabit wireless target which is being set forth by 5g yeah and so if someone wants to, you know, kind of learn more, because that's, that's one thing I, I hear from a lot of operators. Where do I go to learn LTE? You know, what's, can I take classes somewhere? Or what's, you know, you've been around enough to, where, where can people go other than just reading online? Absolutely. Other than reading online, there is a good website. I still do encourage, though it's online, it's the LTEuniversity.com. Um, there's a couple good groups on Facebook. It's like LTE Basics is a good group to okay. join and just kind of follow some notes on. But, you know, definitely look at vendor 
road shows that are coming up, attend their classes. Don't attend just one vendor class because you'll get kind of a clouded judgment of what you think LTE might be, and that's because that's how they think it might be. And there's so much to LTE, and anything that you thought you could do, you can probably do a lot more. Okay. And, and tell us a little about, about uh, what, what Alpha does for their, their products. So Alpha, Alpha is a supplier of carrier-grade antennas and one of the few carrier-grade named antennas that actually sell to carriers in this marketplace. So um, we do a lot of passive and active antennas. Uh, we OEM to a lot of the major uh, manufacturers out there today. Um, we do a lot with, obviously, WIS. We do a lot with utility companies. And we're really starting to focus on that fixed wireless marketplace. We've been doing, you know, 3.5 gigahertz antennas for about 12 years. Okay. You know, three, CBRS is kind of new to the North American market or U.S. market particularly. But band 42, which is a good chunk of that 3 gigahertz band, is heavily used worldwide. And that's where Alpha really put their strengths in years ago uh, with WiMAX at the start of the deploy. So we've just kind of transitioned and gotten ready for the the big lt push for cbrs and we didn't have to really change much okay and kind of closing thoughts what are your what are your thoughts on where cbrs we're going to hear from um hear some more on it here tomorrow at the indiana show but you know what are your thoughts on where cbrs is and how soon it's going to be something well i i could have swore i've said this a thousand times it, it's going to be big when it finally lands and that's kind of the the, the last sentence i always have i mean we're, we're hearing the sas trials are taking place this quarter so moving in through june we're going to start seeing all these trials take forth we're hearing the auction's going to be sometime in mid 2020 but the good news is that GAA is going to be available. So we're going to go from 50 megahertz to 150 megahertz in a very short period of time. Um, obviously, the only downfall is that we actually have to start paying for the SAS. Yeah. Uh, but you look at it, it's going to be revenue that you didn't have either way. So even if you're paying the 225 or whatever you go with for a SAS provider fee, you know, it's uh, 40 to $50 or maybe more if you have really good ARPU a month than you captured yesterday. And uh, a question I just thought of, if um, if someone wants to get into LTE that's not doing it today, if they want to get into 365, what are you kind of telling people? Are you telling them to go out and try to find a license or just wait? Or what's kind of your thoughts on it, someone? It's kind of a mixed bag. If you can find a good NN license that at least gets you to the deadline, I think, which is basically next April. Um, I know WISP is kind of politicking to extend that deadline. We'll see mm -hmm. how that goes. Uh, but really, at this point, if you're interested in trying it, just get with your hardware manufacturer of choice that you end up selecting and get to have them get you on what they call an ICD, which is Initial Commercial Deployment, and they can get you right on the SAS okay, system they can right get away. You. Okay, okay, cool. Well, thank you for, for hanging out, Cameron, and uh, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the time.